0: We're continuing our series in the resurrection, crucifixion resurrection, and talking about the resurrection obvious today. Next week we'll be talking about the proofs of the resurrection. So if you've ever had anybody challenge you how do we know that the resurrection happened, next week is the one that you want to be listening to. We're going to be in Luke 24, starting at verse 1. Luke 24, verse 1. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, there came unto the sepulcher, bringing spices which they had prepared, and certain other items, others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher, and they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments, and they were afraid, and bowed down their faces to the earth. And they said unto them, Why seek you the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men to be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words, and they returned from the sepulcher and told all these things unto the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and others women, other women that were th- with them, which told these things unto the apostles. But their words seemed to them as... Idle tales, and they believed them not. Then arose Peter and ran into the sepulchre, and stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves, and departed, wondering in himself at that which was come had come to pass. So here we have a very interesting story about the resurrection. They all have the same basic pieces of the resurrection story. Jesus had repeatedly told his disciples, "I'm going to die." And I'm coming back in three days. Now it's kind of interesting that the disciples did not believe. Did not hear, did not understand, whatever the case was. They did not believe that what Jesus had told them. Basically, they probably heard, if you've ever watched the peanuts on the on the TV show, then the teachers, the adults are speaking, they're hearing, wah, 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 wah. I believe that's what the disciples were hearing. Every time Jesus said, I'm going to die, they immediately tuned out what was being said. Doesn't compute, doesn't doesn't match. (laughs) I don't understand you, it doesn't make any sense, so I'm going to ignore what you're saying. Now unfortunately, many of us do the same thing oftentimes when we're reading the word of God and it doesn't agree to what we want it to say. We go, I don't think I'm going to believe this. God still has grace and mercy when you do that, they're going to face consequences, just as the disciples have consequences. Jesus was put on the cross, and what do we find the disciples doing? This verse doesn't tell us, but they're hiding. They're in an upper room, hiding in fear that they're going to be arrested, they're going to be crucified, or killed, or whatever it might be, and they're hiding. It's very interesting that the Pharisees told Pilate, uh, he said he was going to rise again from the dead, You know, we need to guard that tomb so nobody gets out of it. Isn't it amazing that the people who did not believe in Jesus believed that maybe what he was saying is true? And yet those that he had spent four years teaching did not believe him. When he said he was going to come back in three days. We have the women going early on, on Sunday morning. And it says very early, which means barely has the sun even come up. If it has even come up. Uh, they're going out there not to go see that he's risen, but to go put spices on his body. To go put all the stuff that they do to get the body ready for burial. Because on Wednesday he had been killed. And Wednesday they had to put him in a grave quickly because the Passover was the next day. And then the Friday after that they were preparing for the next, Passover, uh, next Sabbath day. So, and then the first time that they could actually go in and take care of the body would have been Sunday morning. They felt bad already. They hadn't taken care of his body. They hadn't done all the stuff you were supposed to do when you buried the body. And so they're going in there. They're very sad. And not in Luke, but it tells us the the ladies were going together and saying, who's going to move that big stone? Because they knew that a big stone had been rolled in front of that tomb. And many people have said that that tomb was almost a ton. That had rolled down into a groove and was in front of that door. They're going, I don't, we don't know who, who we're going to get that's going to move this, move this uh, stone for us. And they get there and they're amazed. The stone is not there. Now it's kind of interesting because I've heard messages on all different parts of this. But, you know, I kind of think, you know, why was the stone moved? He wasn't moved for Jesus. Jesus didn't need the stone moved because later on we're going to find out that he just shows up to a, in a locked room with the disciples. He did not need the stone moved. But those ladies needed the stone moved so that they could see nobody was in the tomb. And can you imagine? They are coming there in total depressed sadness. The one they love has gone to the cross and died. They have not remembered that Jesus said that he's coming back. They don't know the victory that's coming. They should have known the victory that was coming. And this is very important for us. In the day that we live, we probably live in the second most exciting time of the the world to live because I really truly believe we are at the end days. If we really believe the Bible, it might be looked at to be scary. But you know what? There's some promises for us. The church will be taken away before all the hard, hard times start. Doesn't mean we won't suffer some things, but before the real trials start, we'll be taken away. We have confidence no matter how bad this world looks, we can be excited because there's comfort for us. Jesus is going to take his bride away. And then we come back seven years later to rule with him on this world. It's an exciting thing. Do we believe it? Or do we kind of ignore it and say, well, gee, God, everything is so bad. I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, this world is getting terrible. And I'm scared. And Jesus' resurrection gives us victory. You know, What is the worst thing that the world can, almost, can do to us is to almost kill us? You're going, Pastor, you got that wrong. It should be killing. No, because if, he, if we're killed, we get to go home. The worst thing the world can do to us is almost kill us. Because then we have to suffer pain and get almost killed again. That could be the worst that they could do is keep almost killing us. Because if they release us from this life, then we could just go to heaven and spend our eternity with Jesus. This is what the resurrection was all about. Victory. Victory over death. The angel said, why are you looking for the dead among the living? The living among the dead. Excuse me, get that backwards. <laughs> Why are you looking for the, you know, I've been doing this all morning. I need to go home. <laughs> Why are you looking for the living here where the dead's at? How often do we do the same thing? We look for something alive the world's way instead of God's way. And it's easy for us to do. We are fleshly beings. We are by nature going to do what's wrong. And oftentimes we will try to do things our way or the world's way instead of God's way. And we can be asking the same question. We ask the same question. Why are you looking for the living amongst the dead, this dead, stinking, fleshful, sinful lifestyle, and you're looking for God's way to life? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And we need to do things God's way. I'm as guilty as everybody else to doing it my own way many times. I'm a manager. I'm an organizer. I'm a planner. I like doing things my own way a lot of times. And if I'm talking about doing things for the world, it's a good thing. If I'm talking about doing things for God... It's not a good thing that I'm an organizer, planner, and all of that. It's good to have a plan, but don't get so wrapped up in your plan that you can't follow God's plan. They're following their own plan. Jesus said, I'm coming back. Can you put yourself in the place of these disciples and, Mary, and the Mary's and the women? For three days, they have been despondent. The one they are following is dead. And then he comes back. But how many times in your life have you been in a place where it looks like everything's dead? It looks like God has forgotten you. Even though you have God's promise that he hasn't forgotten you, you have his promise that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And yet we sit back and go on, oh God, everything seems to be miserable. Where are you? And God says, I'm right here. And I'm going to be right on time. He rose from the dead. And we've talked about this last week. He died because of our sins. And he took a horrible death because of our sin. That we deserve the punishment that he got and he took it upon himself. He is our propitiation, and it's a very big word that we don't use in today's vocabulary very often, but it simply means that he took all of the punishment that was due us on himself. He completely satisfied God's anger on sin. So that those that accept that gift will go to heaven. Now, it's not by what I can do, thankfully. It's not what you can do. It's not my being good. It's not my following a bunch of rules. It's accepting Jesus Christ and his sacrifice and his blood atonement for me that he covers me with his blood. And the father looks down at it and says, there's my perfect child. They are covered by the blood of Christ. They are perfect. I am so glad that God looks at us as perfect when we're his. Because you know what? I know that I'm not perfect and you all know that I'm not perfect. And I know that most of you, the ones I know, aren't perfect. And you know what, even the ones I don't know, I know you're not perfect either. Because <laughs> that's what the Bible tells us. There is nobody perfect, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And it's, so we know Jesus had to come for us to pay that debt. But if he had just died and stayed in the grave, there would be no hope of victory. He was raised from the dead three days later in victory and a powerful statement. In 1 Corinthians 15, starting at verse 55, it says, O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which gives us victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his victory over death, we will be victorious. We do not have to fear death. Death for the Christian is victory. I get rid of this body with all of its sin, without what, with, and especially the older we get with all the pain that we have every day just getting up in the morning. Uh, you know, we get rid of all of that and trade it in for perfection and get to look upon Jesus. You know, I think about this, you know, when somebody like Loretta, passes away. She is there gazing at Jesus' face who she has served for so many decades. And I can tell you one thing, she's happy. Now, I probably, and I say this, and I know people don't like to hear this, but you know, when you get to heaven, I don't think you're thinking about anybody back here on earth. I can think that when I get to heaven, I'm going to be looking at Jesus, and he'll he'll have to remind me that there's others to go see because I'll be looking at the one who loved me enough to die for me. And this is so wonderful. This is the victory that we have. And then we look at the attitude of the disciples when these ladies come back and say, uh, the, the grave's empty. Now, you got to put yourself in their, on their place, uh, at the disciples place as well. Uh, you know somebody died and they went to the grave and they come back and tell you it's empty. What are you going to think? Uh, you guys are a cr- little bit crazy. Did you go to the right grave? <laughs> uh, did you go to the right graveyard? <laughs> uh, what, what's wrong? you know did you're so sad you took too much uh, uh, depressant medication and now're you're, now you're hallucinating? And that's what they say. they thought they were idle tales and they, Peter and John, raced to the tomb to go see and they found it empty. What a gloriful time that they had. But even when Peter saw that the grave was empty, he had trouble with it. Why did he have trouble with it? Well, three days earlier, he had denied Jesus, even knowing Jesus. You know, and it's an amazing thing. Peter, even at this point in time, did not understand grace and mercy. He was so sure that he was going to be rejected for not being strong enough to follow Christ that he was ready to refuse Jesus because what did he tell the disciples after when he didn't see Jesus right away Uh, I'm going back to fishing (laughs) I'm going back to what I know because by the way uh, I I denied him there's no way he's going to want to have me with with him anymore so I'm going to go back to fishing I I didn't make it as a fisher of men I'm going to go back and be a fisherman which is what I know how to do We need to be careful that we don't quit on God. And it can be very easy to quit on God. We may think I've done so much wrong, there's no way God can forgive me. The good news for us is all of our sin was nailed to the cross with Jesus. Not some, not most. All of our sin was nailed on the cross with Jesus. That means everything I did before I became a Christian and everything I have done in the recent days and everything that I will or might do in the future was nailed on the cross with Jesus. Now, and we've talked about this You know, at times. There's only one thing that sends people to hell. That is to deny Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. He has paid for sin. If we deny his gift, then God says, you didn't take my gift, you're going to spend eternity in hell. And people go, well, you know, I did a lot of bad things. It doesn't matter. Well, you don't know what I've done. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what anybody has done. It has been nailed to the cross with Jesus. The only thing that matters at this point is what will you do with Jesus? the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. We deserve death, all of us. And by earth's standards, some more than others. But by God's standards, the wages of sin, singular. If you've committed one sin, and if you tell me you haven't, you're lying. <laughs> so you've already committed a sin. If you've committed one sin, you deserve eternal damnation. Because God's standard is perfection. And you go, well, that's pretty harsh, Pastor. And I go, yes, it is pretty harsh because God's got a perfect standard. One sin kicked Adam and Eve out of the, out of the garden. You know, and that's hard to even imagine. They had one rule in their life. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. One rule. <laughs> and there was nothing else. They could do anything else they wanted. But there was one rule, and they broke that one rule. How many of us think of, well, I I didn't have so many rules, I'd have no problem? It's not true. The world tries to tell us that we're all basically good, and if we were just left alone, we would do good. We can't even keep our own rules when we make them up. I don't need anybody to raise your hand, but how many of you ever ever made a New Year's resolution and broke it within the first month? You made your own rule. And you meant that you were going to keep it, and you didn't keep it. Much less keeping God's 613 rules. We can't keep simple rules. And people go, what if they don't know about Jesus and God? Everybody knows that they violated rules. We violate God's laws. We violate our our government's laws. We violate our neighborhood laws, rules. We violate our own. We cannot keep laws because we don't like laws. When it comes down to it. We like laws as long as everybody else is going to obey them. You know, but we will very much test the limits of law. Uh, you all know I'm I, I admit I'm very guilty when I drive. Laws are to me are suggested speed limits. <laughs> uh, you know, it's suggested that I go sixty-five miles an hour on ninety-three. If I do, I'm gonna get killed probably, but <laughs> because I'll be the slowest one on the road, but uh, but I go above the speed limit. And that's not the only law that I, I push the limits of, and we all are guilty of that. But that's breaking a law. How many of God's laws do we break? And, you know, we can just go down Ten Commandments, and all of us have broken the Ten Commandments, probably all of them, at some point. You know, especially when we take it to Jesus' where, and he says, if you just think the thought, you violated the law. I can't tell you how many people I've probably killed in my mind. <laughs> you no, know, because there's a lot of stupid people out there. <laughs> you know, I'm learning to not get as angry with them as, as I used to. But you know, the very last one that nobody ever thinks about in the Ten Commandments is "You shall not covet." Now we don't like to think about coveting because what is coveting? Wanting what somebody else has that is not mine. Most people don't even think about that one. But that is definitely the catch-all. There isn't a single person who has not wanted something that did not belong to them. And if you watch TV or read magazines, there's a whole advertising agencies come out there to get you to want something that is not yours. And it's called advertising. Their whole job is to get me to want stuff that's not mine. And maybe even to get me to want stuff that I can't even afford. So. We all have sinned. Jesus died for our sins. But more importantly, he rose from the dead in victory. Death could not hold him. Death will not hold us when we're his. We have a great thing to look forward to because death cannot hold us In 2 Corinthians verse five, uh, chapter five, verse eight, we are confident, I say, of, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. When we leave this body as a Christian, we go straight to the presence of God. I look forward to death. Not so much that I'm going to go kill myself or anything, but you know I look forward to the day that I die. And I get to be present with the one who gave himself for me so that I will live for eternity. Because if I reject that gift, then I spend eternity in, you know, technically you'll still be alive, but you'll be spiritually dead in torment for eternity. And people go, that is awful. That's terrible. And you're right. It is terrible and awful. People go, you're trying to scare me to get saved. Absolutely. I don't deny it. If it takes the fear of hell to get you out of going to hell then I'm more than happy to scare you out of, out of hell. Because that is the alternative. The alternative is an eternity without God in hell with all the torment there's no fun in hell. You know people go well, I'm gonna go party with all my friends. No there won't be any parties in hell. There won't be any comfort in hell. Or you spend eternity with God. I'm going to choose eternity with God and have chosen eternity with God. And I hope that everybody in this room has chosen eternity with God. Because it is so simple. You just accept the gift that was given to you. How do you accept a gift? Well, it's pretty simple. You reach out and take it. All you say is, God, I'm a sinner. I deserve punishment. I accept that Jesus died on that cross for me. I repent of my sins and ask you to come come and be my Lord. And people go, well, that's too simple. Yep, it's very simple. It is so simple that most people won't do it. Because they'll go, it's too simple. There's nothing for me to do to get to heaven. That's right. There's nothing for you to do to get to heaven except the gift. And for most of us, we have too much pride to be able to just say, I'm going to accept that gift. Because I've got to do something. Yes, I've got to humble myself and accept a gift. But that's all I have to do. And it's very important for us to be able to understand that, because that is how we will spend eternity with the Father. And in Philippians uh, 1.21, For me to live is Christ, to die is gain, if I live in the flesh... This is the fruit of the labor, yet when I what shall I choose? I am in a strict straight betwixt the two, having a desire to part and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful to you. It is good. While God has us in this world, we have a job. Everybody who is God's child has a job in this world. What is that job? Jesus said, Go and teach others teach others you go well I'm not much of a teacher all of us are teaching in a position to teach somebody all of us some of us are more experienced as teachers some are not if you have anybody in your family that is that looks up to you with any kind of respect teach them about Jesus get them saved bring them to Christ and then start discipling them what is discipling teaching them about Christ my job all my life has been to disciple. For many, many years it was my kids. Now it's this church. My kids are still being discipled, but most of them are old, older and gone, gone their own way. They ask me questions that, every once in a while that actually challenge me most of the time. <laughs> you know, they'll ask me questions about the Bible because they know most of everything I've taught them over the years, and their questions are hard. You know, because they ask me questions I didn't teach them. <laughs> Our job is to reach out and touch. And people go, well, I'm afraid to tell people about Jesus. Well, you know, I've said this so many times, what are you afraid of? Most people have one big fear about when they're about talking to people about Jesus. They're afraid that somebody's going to ask them something they don't know. You now, that's kind of a crazy statement because there's none of us in this room that know everything about any topic. Even if you're an expert, you don't know everything that there is to know about the topic, an expert begins to know what they don't know. There is not a person in this room, including myself, that can answer every single question that might be asked of you by somebody. But I'm going to tell you to turn this thing around. If somebody asks you a question that you don't know, it is actually the best thing that can happen to you when you're talking to them, because there's a real simple answer. I don't know the answer to that. I'm going to go find the answer to it. Can we meet again tomorrow, next week, whatever's going to be convenient for you, and I'll have an answer for you. And then you run to whoever's discipling you, and you ask them how to get that answer and come back with the right answer. And if they don't respond to Christ, what you want, you want them to ask you another question that you don't know the answer to. You want them to keep asking you something you don't know the answer to, so you can keep coming back with answers, and you're not just answering their question. You're going to tell them about their need for Jesus every time you give them their answer. So the very thing that you're probably very fearful of is the best thing that can happen to you outside of them accepting Jesus right on that first time. Use it. Use it to be able to go back to them and tell them the story of the gospel again and again, and again. Because now I get two or three chances to go tell them about Jesus. So the very thing that you're probably most fearful of is a good thing if you just look at it as a good thing. Because even me, after 50 years of study, I don't know all the answers to every single possible question that they ask. I know a lot of their answers. I know most of the answers. And I look forward to it when they ask me something I don't know and I have to go back. Okay, let me get to, let me go some study and let me go find the right answer for you. And you know what? I'm going to share with you all some little secret that I've done. Sometimes I go back and tell them I don't know the answer and have to go look at it even if I do know the answer. Because I want the second opportunity to go talk to them. (laughs) Because if I see that they're not ready to respond then I'm going, okay, let me go find the answer and we'll get back together next week. And now I get to go back through the gospel message again and answer their question. I don't do that very often, but there have been times when just things aren't seeming to go right. I come back, and not, and I'm not looking for the answer. I'm praying for them. God, soften their heart. Let me say the right words. Get the right words to talk, to talk to somebody. Because we're going to give the gospel message, and I'm going to tell you, it's been said, and I believe it even though I don't know the study, that somebody has to hear the gospel message eight to ten times before they actually believe it. And I've never calculated it up. But you know what? I heard the gospel message probably several times before I'd actually heard it. And what's amazing is when somebody finally tells you, Well, I heard the gospel message for the first time and I responded. And it's really funny if it's somebody I know. (laughs) I'm going, Oh, so the six times I told you over the last 10 years didn't count. (laughs) I don't say that to them, but I'm thinking this, you know. But you know, it really is true that they did not hear. Have you ever been in a place where you did not hear what was said? Because it didn't compute, you weren't ready. Uh, it, didn't, it was just noise to you at the time. There comes that time when it becomes real. And all of a sudden you're ready to respond or not respond. I've been amazed many times when I preach and somebody goes, I love when you said such and such and talked about such and such. And I'm going, did I really talk about what they heard? And I'm going, wow, God, you really changed the message that they heard because I don't remember saying anything. I've even gone back on the, on the recording and say, no, I didn't say anything like that. But they heard something that they needed to hear. And God got through to their heart. We need to be listening. We need to be ready to listen to God because we have the victory of the resurrection. We have a life forever. When we leave this physical body, we enter into our real destination where we will spend eternity. And, you know, Millions and millions, billions, trillions of years from now, we won't even remember this world, which we think is so hard and so long and so difficult. When we get to heaven, there's just going to be a blink of the eye when we go back and say, "You know, yeah, there was something way, way back there that was difficult, but I don't remember it anymore because I'm enjoying heaven. You hopefully will enjoy heaven. And this is where we're at. Are you ready to accept the resurrection with joy and peace. Do you know Jesus? And for most of you in this room, I know most of you, and I know that most of you know him. I don't know everybody, and I don't know everybody listening on the internet. But today is the opportunity to come to Christ. And I just want everybody to bow your heads right now. And if you know Jesus, pray for anybody in this room and that's listening that doesn't. But if you don't know Jesus, today is the day to do it. And it's a simple prayer. God, I'm a sinner. I deserve that punishment. I accept the gift that you gave on the cross for me. Come into my life and be my Lord. I repent of my sins and guide me and keep me. If anybody has said that, if you want to just raise your hand, so I would acknowledge it, and I've got a something I can give you to help you with that. All right. All right. Thank you. For the rest of us, Lord, we just ask that you guide and lead us. Help us to be peaceful within your victory, your love for us, your care for us. We thank you that you loved us so much to die on the cross for us, knowing that it was going to be painful, that you would be separated from the Father, and you did it willingly because of your love for us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, where will you be when you die? We ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes, and the biggest answer we'll get is I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God, and that's a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please today make your decision to follow Him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. If you've said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet. You can contact us at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com or you can just send us a regular letter at chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona. 86431. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day.